The fact of the matter is grace and truth was from the beginning. Grace and truth didn't show up when Yeshua started his ministry. The Bible tells us that Yeshua was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. And therefore, if he was before the world and he was truth and grace and truth came through him, then grace and truth existed before the world existed. He was the word which was in the beginning made flesh in his day. So Father always showed mercy and grace throughout the Bible, not just in the New Testament when Yeshua came. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the book of Genesis. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. After Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery, Joseph is sold by some other descendants of Abraham to a high-ranking official in Egypt. In this podcast, I focus on the various incidents that lead to Joseph's trouble and investigate the favor that continuously manifests in Joseph's life. I also explore the cause of Joseph's favor and show how to obtain the kind of favor Joseph had with Jehovah. Today's study title is Joseph's Trouble and Jehovah's Favor. So, let's study. Genesis chapter number 39, and we're talking about Joseph's trouble and Jehovah's favor. And as I mentioned in chapter number 38, which is what we looked at last week, we talked about the birth of the Jews and we saw how Judah had left his brothers, left his father, and he went further into Canaan and he began to have friendship with an Adulamite named Hira. And he ended up having a wife, which he got from among the Canaanites. He had children. He had three sons. Two of them died because it appears that Jehovah killed them. And the third one, who Judah promised to Tamar, but reneged on that promise or had no intent for fear that he might die as well, was tricked, if you would, but he he couldn't have been tricked if it wasn't in his heart. (laughs) Judah did some things that were in Judah's heart to do. And as a result, Tamar was able to bring him into a situation to where he had sexual relationship with her, produced two sons. And we noted as we looked at the genealogy that through Tamar, which apparently was a Canaanite based on the proximity of where Judah was, who became the mother of the Pharez, who became the line which Messiah Yeshua came through. And prior to Genesis 38, we saw that Joseph, who had been sent by his father to go check on his brothers, found himself in a situation to where his brothers sold him to a group of people that are mentioned called Midianites and Ishmaelites. And 38 seemed to interrupt that narrative. And now 
we go back to chapter 39, which picks up from Genesis chapter number 37. And so in verse one, it says, and Joseph was brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian brought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. Now, in Genesis chapter 37, it closes in verse 36, where it says, And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. And so, the, you know, the question becomes, did the Ishmaelites or did the Midianites sell Joseph? Because it appears that they were both involved and the Midianites are descendants of Midian and the Ishmaelites are descendants of Ishmael. And so this is one of those areas to where it's like, okay, <laughs> who sold him or from what version or angle is the narrative being written? However, there are some interesting dynamics here. The Ishmaelites and Midianites were descendants of Abraham. The Ishmaelites through Abraham and Hagar, who was an Egyptian. And the Egyptians were descendants of Ham via Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim was a son of Ham, which is the people that we know in the Bible as the Egyptians. So we see that Abraham has a child by a woman who is an Egyptian. <laughs> And her son and his descendants now is about to sell Abraham's as Isaac, Jacob, who he changed to Israel. So Isaac, his son, Israel, his grandson, Joseph, his great grandson. Now, I want you to see this because Ishmaelites descendants, which are Abraham's son, is about to sell Abraham's grandson. But on top of that, we're going to find that the Midianites are also part of Abraham through Keturah. And so here we find the sons of Ham, Cush, and Mitzrayim, Genesis chapter 10. These are the sons of Ham, Cush, Mitzrayim, Put, and Canaan. And of course, Ham is also believed to have been the descendant or the progenitor of Keturah, who, not Keturah, but of um, Midian, as we're going to see here. Now, verse 1, Genesis 16, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, <laughs> whose name was Hagar. And Hagar bare Abram, a son and Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. Now here in verse 15, it says, Abraham called him Ishmael. But we find earlier in that chapter that Hagar had ran away because of the harsh treatment of Sarah. And when Hagar had run away, the almighty spoke to her and told her, that she needed to go back, that she was pregnant, that she had a son in her womb, and she was to call him Ishmael. So here again, 
Did he tell Hagar to call him Ishmael? And if so, if Abraham called him Ishmael, then Abraham is taking the name that Hagar was given by the Most High to call the son. And so we see all of these dynamics that are easily to overlook if you don't pay attention. The Midianites through Abraham and Keturah, also a descendant of Ham via Midian. And so here we see, then Abraham took a wife and her name was Keturah. And we'll come to find later on that, you know, well, we won't jump ahead this time. But in verse two, it says, and she bare him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, and Midian, and Ishbak, and Shua. And so Midian, the son of Abraham through Keturah, was the progenitor of the Midianites. And so what you see here, the players are all descendants of Abraham. The players here are Abraham and Midian, Abraham and Ishmael, Abraham and Jacob and Joseph. So these are all Abraham's family members. <laughs> Interesting. And as we follow through the Torah and most of the Old Testament, we're going to find that, as I've said so many times, that the Bible seems to follow the line of Ham and Sham. There is such a relationship and intermarriage between these two to where it is even difficult to tell them apart. Because we're going to see as we go through, even in this life of Joseph, that if only they had cameras back in those days that could actually photograph color. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because we are so far removed from the Bible and we have all of these various pigmentations and hues of skin color to where it could be manipulated by those with male intent and cause division based on pigmentation. When the fact of the matter is, even with all of that, we all find our ancestry back in the garden. We all come from one man and one woman. No matter how you cut it, no matter what people you came from, if you trace your genealogy, and unfortunately, these genealogical companies that are out there making millions and billions of dollars helping people trace their genealogy only go so far back. <laughs> it stops there, you see. Verse 2, and Jehovah was with Joseph. Now, here is the key right here. Jehovah was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. Now, is it talking about Potiphar? Or is it talking about Joseph here? Because we're going to see, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, which obviously is telling us he's talking about Joseph. So Joseph was a prosperous man in slavery. Why? Because Jehovah's, Jehovah was with him. Now, when we did the teaching on true biblical prosperity, we talked about how prosperity looked different for different people. Every person's idea of prosperity is not the same. And so the Bible says, Father prospered Joseph. And his master saw that Jehovah was with him. 
How? How did he see this? Well, one, that Jehovah made all that he did to prosper. <laughs> you see, now, well, I don't want to jump ahead. We'll get there. So Potiphar is watching that all of a sudden, and Potiphar wasn't just anybody because according to verse one, we find that he was an officer of Pharaoh, a captain of the guard. So he wasn't your everyday guy. This was a high-ranking official in Pharaoh's army. He was an officer, a captain of the guard. And so he bought Joseph, brings Joseph into his house, and he began to see that Joseph now is causing his household to prosper. Joseph, the Bible says, verse 4, found grace. And this word grace is used a few times in the Bible. We see it in in the Old Testament. Some would have us to think that grace showed up with Jesus. (laughs) The fact of the matter is grace and truth was from the beginning. Grace and truth didn't show up when Yeshua started his ministry. The Bible tells us that Yeshua was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. And therefore, if he was before the world and he was truth and grace and truth came through him, then grace and truth existed before the world existed. He was the word which was in the beginning made flesh in his day. So father always showed mercy and grace throughout the Bible, not just in the new Testament when Yeshua came. And so we find that Joseph found grace from Potiphar and then Potiphar placed Joseph over everything he had, including the men in his house, but not his wife. Now, it came to pass from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had that Jehovah blessed the Egyptian's house. Why? For Joseph's sake. And the blessing of Jehovah was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. So what do we see? That Potiphar had a house that seemingly had servants. And if he had a field, it is obvious that somebody had to manage the field, work the field, which suggests that he had servants also in the field. Now, the thing is, is that when Joseph came in, he wasn't just a butler. He was over everything. He was over the house, all that was in the house, and all that was in the field. And yet he was a slave. See, there's some powerful messages within this that I hope to bring out. And in verse six, it says, and he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. The man started multiplying. This next statement says, and he didn't even know all he had. (laughs) Why? Stuff started happening. Joseph came in 
stuff started happening, his household prospered, stuff multiplied, and it got, now you got to put yourself in this man's position. If you could put yourself in, in this man's position, what would it take for you to give somebody complete control in your house? Get this. Potiphar left his house and left his wife in the house. How many of us would do that? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This man left his house and left his wife in the house and left this man in the house over everything he had in the house and in the field. And he was a slave. <laughs> It was somebody he bought and not worry about his household. Says, and he knew not all he had. All he concerned himself with was when he came home, there was food to eat. There was a wife to go to bed with. And that's all he concerned himself with. And then notice this next verse. It says, and Joseph was a goodly person. In other words, if you delve into that word, it says that Joseph was fair looking. Joseph was good looking. Joseph was handsome. (laughs) Joseph was easy on the eyes. So much so that, of course, his wife took notice of, Potiphar's wife took notice of him. And you know, when, when you put a man over everything that you have, a wife see that this man that I married really trusts this man. This man that I married trusts this man to put him over everything and then to leave me here when he go off to do his duties. And he's a good looking man. On top of that, it's not like he was eunuch. He didn't castrate him. He wasn't snagger tooth, buck tooth. He wasn't ugly. (laughs) You get this. This word favor, now I want you to pay attention to two things. One, he was a goodly person, and then he was well favored. This word favor has a lot of meanings, and I want to pull out one. If you go down to the usage there, you'll see favor, appearance, sight, countenance, but then there's this word vision. There's this word vision. Because from an appearance, if we look at Genesis 39, 6, the Bible already said that he was a goodly person. In other words, his appearance was, he had a good appearance. So the word favor to take it and say, okay, he was a good looking man by appearance doesn't seem to fit. And favored doesn't seem, I mean, as I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, you know, there's something here that just doesn't make sense. And as I studied out this word favored, well-favored, I began to see it, that appearance and sight and vision, one could interpret that, that he had a goodly appearance, a well-appearance. And the word favored doesn't seem to match with grace or, you know, where that's generally the word that is 
gifted and grace. And so when I saw this word vision, it's like, okay, is this word favored and vision used to identify or to, let me just show you what happened to me. I started thinking, and we know that Joseph dreamed. We know that he was considered a dreamer. But according to this verse, it is also possible that Joseph had visions because think about it. You live in a family and you got brothers and all of a sudden you start having dreams and you tell them about him. And now they start getting upset because you had a dream, but then you start having more dreams. And sometimes dreams are kind of synonymous in a sense with visions because visions seem something that you have in a day and dreams seem to be something you have in a night, but there's not a whole lot of difference between vision and dream, although there is some difference. And so the Bible says that, that God was with Joseph. We know according to what Yeshua said in John 14, that God is spirit. So if God is with Joseph and God is spirit, we also know that evidence of the presence of the spirit is visions, dreams, prophecy, because Joel, the prophet said something as we're going to see here in a moment. And so at this point, the way this word is used, Joseph may have had visions as well. One of the ways well-favored is interpreted in the Hebrew is vision. And so I began to look for that particular word in other places. And lo and behold, I found it in, a, in several places. I found it in Ezekiel. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there according to the vision. It's the same word. It's the same Hebrew word, Mara. Same word. In Ezekiel 8.4. In Ezekiel eleven twenty four, afterwards, the spirit took me up and brought me in a vision. There's that word. By the spirit of God into Chaldee, to them of the captivity. So the vision that I had seen went up from me. Ezekiel 43, 3, and it was according to the appearance of the vision, which I saw. Even according to the vision. Let me, let me just share, share with you how I got on this track. Now, one of the tools I use is a, is a blue letter Bible. Yeah. And here's what, what, what happens. You see in the bottom of this passage where you've seen me put usage, I see appearance there 35 times. And so if I wanted to look that up, I'll see that the word Mara here is used as appearance 35 times. And sight. Now appearance and sight, I could make a connection in order to see an appearance, you got to have sight to see it. And an appearance could be a countenance. But what I didn't get is this word vision. And then I saw the number because what the blue letter edition here in this particular version, when you look up a particular word, like I clicked favor and it takes me to the interlinear concordance and I go to the interlinear a concordance and I look that word up and then it'll give me certain places where this particular Hebrew word is used. 
And then I start scrolling through those because I'm looking for a particular word. And so when I did that, I began to find several places in Ezekiel. And it was according to the appearance of the vision, which I saw even according to the vision that I saw when I came to destroy the city. And the visions were like the vision that I saw by the river of Kebar and I fell upon my face. And then Daniel 8:16, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uliah, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. Daniel 8:27, and I, Daniel, fainted and was sick certain days afterwards. I rose up and did the king's business, and I was astonished at the vision. The word favored, Mara, which we get the word favored from the Hebrew, is the same word. And at the beginning of thy Supplications, Daniel 9, 23, the commandments came forth. And there are other places where this is used. But then if you connect Joel 2, 28, it says, and it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Now the visions here, the young man shall see what I'm, I'm making the connection, not for that particular word, Mara, but the fact that if a person dreams and the dreams are from Jehovah and there's a connection between dreams and vision, and we know that Joseph dreamed, the question for me became, how did Joseph learn the things that he learned and how did he know to do the things that he did that brought him so much favor to where everywhere he went, Jehovah was with him? And if Jehovah is with them, how is he communicating with them? Because if he's with them, knowing him like I do, he's communicating and interacting with him. Because when Potiphar saw, notice what Moses writes. He says that Potiphar, verse three, and his master saw. Now, in the King James, it says that the Lord was with him. Did Potiphar know the Lord? How could he see the Lord being with Joseph? What did he see that would cause him to come to that conclusion? See, and what this does, as I said, brothers and sisters, it's important as we're searching and studying that we do our best to put ourselves in the scriptures and begin to ask the right kinds of questions. Cause these, these are the things that I ask, which sends me on a search because when I ask the question, well, what did Potiphar see? You know, what did he see? And then I'm thinking if I put myself in Joseph's place, I don't belong here. I've got every right from a human perspective to feel slighted, mistreated, rejected. I've been sold as a slave, born as a free man, sold as a slave by my own family. And, and I can take that attitude wherever I go. Because this is what people do is they take their attitudes of the things that have happened in their lives through life. 
And as a result, they begin to see life through the attitudes of the things that have been done to them that is wrong and cause them to operate out of that attitude. And that attitude does not allow the favor of Jehovah to manifest in our lives because the attitude enables us to give place to the devil that keeps the favor of Jehovah from manifesting. And we operate out of the hurts and the wrongs that have been done. But not Joseph. Jehovah was with him, and it doesn't tell us that Jehovah is giving him visions. We know he's had some dreams. It doesn't tell us what Jehovah is saying to him or doing or leading him, but if Jehovah is with him and Jehovah is spirit, Jehovah's spirit is with Joseph, and if Jehovah's spirit is with Joseph, then Jehovah must be leading Joseph. Because Potiphar didn't just see the favor. He saw the favor of Jehovah on Joseph's life. What does that say to me? That says that Joseph wasn't operating out of his hurt. That says that Joseph was being led by something, someone. And get this. How did Joseph know how to be that kind of servant. Because I would dare say that Joseph wasn't the first or only slave Potiphar had. So we see all these places where vision is used. Joseph not only had dreams, but he had the ability to interpret the dreams from God, as we will see later in Joseph's life. Verse 7, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, behold, my master wanteth not what is with me in the house. In other words, he don't concern himself and he's committed all that he has unto my hand. There is none greater in this house than me. (laughs) Neither has he kept back anything from me but you. So I would suspect that Potiphar says, now, now, Joseph, I'm putting you in charge. (laughs) You can go, you can do, you can make decisions, you can rearrange, but there's only one thing you need to know. In my absence, my wife is in charge, if you would, and you have access to everything but her. Because this is what Joseph is saying. He says he has kept back nothing from me but you. Do you get that? So now I'm saying, okay, Joseph understood that he had free reign over everything but her. Which suggests to me that Potiphar said, you have free reign over everything except her. Because that's my wife. How then can I do? Now notice these words that he used. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? How did Joseph know that was sin? How did he know it was wicked? Because you got to understand that Joseph was brought up in the midst of some stuff. He saw his brothers use the name of the Lord to get people circumcised so they can kill him. Killed all these men all the men of Shechem, 
spoiled their homes, took their wives, took their children, took their possessions, burned their houses. He saw his brother possibly go in to his father's wife. He saw the hatred. The Bible says that his brothers hated him. Then they hated him more. And then they hated him all the more. And then they envied him. They were angry at him. So he experienced all of this. He saw how it felt to be mistreated. And now he says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? How he was able to gain this favor is that he recognized wickedness and sin and he stayed away from it. He recognized wickedness and sin, and he stayed away from it. He avoided sin. He didn't allow his circumstances, the wrongs that had done, been done to him, the wickedness that had been committed against him. He didn't allow himself to become the stuff that had happened. See, if you're not careful, brothers and sisters, you will allow the circumstances in your life to shape and mold you. They will make you angry. They will make you hurtful. They will make you bitter. They will make you resentful, distrusting, pessimistic. And it seems that all the things that were happening to him, he didn't allow the things that happened to him shape him. He kept his integrity and his faith in the most high, even during the most difficult times and situations. And it wasn't just once or twice. It seemed to have been the way Joseph lived. You see, we don't know how long the Midianites and Ishmaelites had Joseph. Nor do we know how long it took Joseph to develop this favor with Potiphar to be placed over all of his possessions, nor do we know how long Joseph was in Potiphar's house before Potiphar's wife began to hit on Joseph. Because you got to understand, you see, there's no timelines. So we don't know. The timeline is missing. But one thing I can say to you is that this didn't happen overnight. I don't know how long it took for, I don't know how long Joseph was in the pit before his brother sold him. We don't know how long the journey was to Egypt from where they were. We don't know how long he was possibly in the slave market. What we do know is that Joseph's knowledge and understanding of what was required by God was evident. As Joseph stated, that would be a great wickedness and a sin. What Potiphar wife was asking him to do. Now, Get this, Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, was over Joseph. He could have justified his action. He could have said, your wife made me do it. She commanded me, what was I to do? But no. See, in a situation like that, to resist Potiphar's wife command would be like saying no to Potiphar. If Potiphar was his master and Potiphar's wife was Potiphar's wife, 
then she would be his master too. Right? Verse 10. And it came to pass that she spoke to Joseph day by day. Now this, this wasn't just a run of the mill. It's like every day. I don't know what it took for her to get to this point, but every day, day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And what this suggests to me is that she had some traps. Hey, Joseph, come sit here with me. No, ma'am, I got things to do. Hey, Joseph, come. I need you to, to massage my legs. No, ma'am, I got, I got things to do. Hey, Joseph, I need you to scratch my hair or bead my hair or whatever the case may be. Can you hand me some, some wine? Can you hand me a towel? I suspect that she probably wanted to take showers if they had showers or baths, if they, you know, whatever the case may be, to lure Joseph in because this went on day by day and thinking about how people are enticed and seduced, I would dare say that she went to great lengths to seduce him and to entrap him. And he went to great lengths to avoid being seduced and being trapped. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. And there was none of the men of the house there within. And I could imagine it's like, you know, something's wrong. This is weird. <laughs> Where's <is> everybody? <laughs> and she caught him by his garment, his begot, saying, lie with me. And he came out of those garments and ran out the house. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garments in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house. Now she's scorned and spoken to them. See, he, now, now she's, she's angry at her husband or she's pointing at her husband because he is not the Hebrew. Notice what he said. He has brought in a Hebrew unto us. Now get this. Who's the wicked person here? She is. And she's blaming her husband. <laughs> he did this. She's not taking responsibility for what she has done because right now she's in trouble. And she knows she's in trouble. And maybe if she'd kept her mouth shut, she wouldn't have been in trouble. But now she's not only in trouble, she's mad. This Hebrew has refused her, has rejected her, has disobeyed an order. And all she can think of is this fella ain't going to give in. So now I need to get him out of here. So what does she do? She blames her husband. He brought in a Hebrew. He brought him in here, and now look at it. He's making a mockery of us. He came in unto me. Basically, she's saying her husband has got bad judgment. He should have known. He never should have brought this Hebrew in the house. And look at him. He done put us over him. He done took a slave and made the slave greater than us. And now he in here trying to get him some. And I cried. Now she, the only time she cried is when she cried for them servants to come. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home, until his Lord. 
<laughs> and she spoke unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which you brought unto us, the Hebrew servant which you has brought unto us, came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass as I lifted up my voice and cried. Now she had her story straight because she didn't told it to the servants. And basically what she's saying is here's what happened. So if Potiphar asks you what happened, here's what happened. <laughs> she's trading her witnesses. <laughs> see, this is, this is why brothers and sisters see the witnesses didn't see nothing. All they got is her testimony. They didn't see anything. After this manner did thy servant to me that his wrath was kindled. Let me read 19 again. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me that his wrath was kindled. And I can imagine now what's going on in his head because his wife has said, you brought him in here and he's thinking, what have I done? <laughs> Look at what I've done. I brought this man in here. Now he's attacking my wife. Now I know the movie Joseph don't play out like that because in the movie he looked at his wife and he know that his wife is lying, but yet he puts him in prison anyway because he knows Joseph's character. But all that is not here. That's taking liberty. But in the sense, for him to see that Jehovah is with him and cause him to put him over his house, was he a bad judge of character or a good judge of character? And he felt that he was a good judge of character until his wife questioned his judgment. And it wasn't that he was a bad judgment of character. is that his wife was on the down low. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, but he didn't put him in any prison. And this is, this is where the liberty is taken. He put him where the king's prisoners were bound, which suggests, now, now what you may not know, brothers and sisters, is that they got all kinds of different prisons in these United States. They got prisons where they put wealthy people and they got prisons where they put paupers. <laughs> and they don't put them all in the same prison. He put Joseph in the place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. But Jehovah was with Joseph. There is that word again, that phrase. Jehovah was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. Now, I'm going to tell you something is that the favor of Jehovah is so valuable. You want to do everything you can to make sure that once you have it, you maintain that. Because if, if he is with you, then he's with you wherever you go. And that's so important. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because Jehovah was with him. And that which he did, Jehovah made it to prosper. Who? Jehovah made Joseph to prosper. 
Now, there's some valuable lessons that we can learn here. We know, according to Genesis 39, verse 9, that Joseph's knowledge and understanding of what was required by Elohim was evident, as Joseph stated, that would be a great wickedness and a sin against Jehovah. And so Joseph knows this. And I asked the question, you know, I'm asking myself this question and I'm posing it to you. Who taught Joseph these things? We see no evidence that Israel taught him. Was it his father Israel? Was it God by spirit? Now, what we do know is that Israel was a man concerned about the things of God. And because it appears that Joseph spent the first 17 years of his life, which we don't get to see. All we know that when Joseph was about 17, he he was sent to go find his brothers. What happened during those 17 years? Because one thing we know is that Rachel was alive until Benjamin died. Rachel was, was Israel's favorite wife. Remember, Israel had four wives or two wives and two concubines, depending on what passage we look at. And all of those wives had firstborns. And so Joseph was the firstborn of Rachel. So all of this time, Joseph is spending with his father and mother, and we don't really know what he's being taught or what Israel is teaching him. It's highly possible Israel told him to fear Jehovah because it is clear that Israel had a fear of Jehovah, and so he passed it on. But the fact that Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with the Canaanites, it's like, okay, we see that there is some differences between them and how they operate and the level of fear they had. It is also evidently clear and highly probable that Joseph received visions from God and instructions from him that showed him things and spoke to him. I suspect that even while he was in that pit, and in the captivity of the Midianites and the Ishmaelites, and in the slave market in Egypt before coming to Potiphar's house, that God was showing him the things that he needed to know and to follow his direction. That's what I suspect. What we know is that who taught Joseph is not clear. But what is clear is that Joseph maintained his fear of God while in the pit. He maintained it in the slave market. He maintained it in Potiphar's house. That should be Potiphar's house. And as we go forth, we're going to see he's going to maintain it even in the prison because already he's got the favor from what we see in verse 23. And so what are the lessons we can learn? No matter where you are, no matter what wrong has been done to you, no matter what situation, no matter what unrighteousness or wickedness or evil, or saying that has been done against you and all of that, it is important to maintain one's fear of God. When somebody wrongs you, it doesn't justify responding in an ungodly manner. Even though 
you may feel you have a right to do that. It doesn't justify you responding in an ungodly manner, especially those of us who call ourselves believers because we do unto others as we will have them do unto us, not the way they treat us. We don't treat people the way they treat us. This is something we struggle with. I struggle with it. I struggle with it on a regular basis. Is that people are speaking to me in a way or, or, or saying things to me in a way, and I have to learn not to take that stuff personal. But that's hard not to do. Especially when it comes from, you know, your people who are in close proximity to you, your husband, your wife, your sons, your daughters, your parents. It's way too often that I'm dealing with people in council who have been hurt by their father, hurt by their mother, hurt by their wife, hurt by their husband, hurt by their their siblings, rejected, mistreated, talked down to, abused, and how these things begin to shape individuals to where now they have these hurts and these rejections and bitterness and unforgiveness and, and trying to cope and maintain some semblance of goodness while carrying all this baggage. And because of all of this baggage, for some reason or another, it doesn't take a whole lot <laughs> for a snap or, you know, you come out of one of those bags. <laughs> you know, you got, you got all these different bags and if people push the wrong button or poke the wrong bag, you know, you might be one of those pop-ups. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, it, it happens. So we got we to gotta empty those bags. <laughs> we got to put those bags where they belong, and that's out with the trash. It is the fear of God and the keeping of his commandments that bring the favor of God. It is the fear of God and the keeping of his commandments that causes you to prosper. No matter what your circumstance, no matter what your situation whether you are in a pit, in a slave market, in Potiphar's house, or in prison, it is important and extremely vital that we maintain our fear of God and keep his commandments. As Ecclesiastes, the writer wrote, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And I would suspect since this Ecclesiastes came long after Joseph, that the stories in watching how if there is an example of a human being that actually walked the earth, Joseph is one of those examples. And the question one still has to ask is what did Joseph do to deserve that? What did Joseph do to his brothers to deserve what they did? How could something like that happen to someone who had committed no sin who had done no wrong that we know that is recorded. All Joseph did was share with other people what father was revealing to him. That's all he was doing. All he was doing was sharing what father was revealing to him. 
and telling it to his brothers and telling it to his father. You could say that Joseph's problem was Jehovah's favor. Joseph's trouble was God. What brought the trouble in his life was the fact that father had chosen him and was showing things to him and others around him was jealous and envious of what father was revealing to him. Joseph's ministry, Joseph's purpose, father's plan for Joseph's life is what got Joseph in trouble with his brothers. Imagine that. Imagine that. Your calling caused trouble. The trouble is going to come, whether you embrace the calling or not. You will have trouble. Man born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. And since we are going to have trouble in this life, you want the favor of Jehovah because the only one who can protect you and guide you through it and bring you through on the other side on top is him. But the only way he's going to do that is you fear him and keep his commandments. Regardless to what's going on, learn to keep your mouth shut, learn to keep your emotions in check, learn to keep your attitude in the right place, learn to allow him to order your steps, learn to be dependent upon him, to listen to him, to wait on him, and to expect his favor wherever you go. That's the conclusion of this teaching. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints. <music>